Hello and welcome to Good Is The New Cool in partnership with Soho House, a podcast series featuring some of the world's most inspiring creatives, entrepreneurs and activists who want to use business and culture as a force for good. I'm Afta Aziz. And I'm Bobby Jones. This evening, we'll be joined by Maya Smith, Executive Director of Lady Gaga's Born This Way Foundation, to discuss how elevating youth voices helps us put the power to make real change in the right hands. Lady Gaga is using the power of allies to create a kinder, braver world. So our guest today is Maya Smith, who's the Executive Director of the Born This Way Foundation. And I'm so looking forward to this conversation because if any... Artist and foundation epitomized the title of this podcast, Good is a New Cool. It is Lady Gaga and what she's done. Uh, she has always figured out a way to use her cool in service of good. And I'm really looking forward to getting into it with Maya and talking about how they do it, how they kind of parlay this cultural capital into social capital as well. And you know Maya for some time now um, and worked with her before as well. Maya is awesome. She lives this and, and she loves this work. You know, we had the opportunity of working um, with Maya in a variety of ways, but the latest was during the launch of Channel Kindness. And Peace First, we partnered with Channel Kindness to implement this Channel Kindness Awards throughout um, Lady Gaga's tour. And I can tell you that Maya is, is one of the sharpest minds in this space. And she is a passionate and fierce advocate for the power of young people to create change in this world. She truly believes in the power of young people and all of us to create a kinder and braver world. And I think she is probably one of the most knowledgeable people that you can talk to in terms of how to leverage the power of celebrity and pop culture to drive social change in a measurable way. So excited to jump into the talk now. We're here at uh, Soho House in West Hollywood in Los Angeles. And let's talk to the wonderful Maya Smith. All right, so Maya, tell us about yourself. Tell us your story. How did you get to this amazing place right now where you get to travel the world with one of the most famous human beings on the planet, all with the goal of creating a kinder, braver world. How did you get here? Thank you both so much for having me here. And thank you so much for putting a name to what I am fortunate enough to have made a career with, right? Good is the new cool. That's incredible. So how did I get here? It's such a great question. There's a bunch of different intersection points that I think contributed. So I'm um, first generation. My parents immigrated here from Romania. They sought political asylum and it all came from a dream that my mom had one night of a little girl playing on a playground wearing purple pants. And she knew that in communist Romania that wouldn't be possible. So they hadn't even gotten pregnant yet. But she woke up in the morning and shook my dad awake and said, we need to go to America, right? The land of opportunity and choices. And even now, like she goes to Baskin Robbins and cries about how the fact there's 31 flavors, right? It's just like adorable immigrant moment when she's just overwhelmed by the choices that she gave up her life to have and for her children to have. And so I grew up with a really deep appreciation of the sacrifices that my parents had made to come here and to give me rights and opportunities. And so that first manifested in voting, like democracy, citizenship, rock the vote stuff. Um, But my first day of college at Rutgers University in New Brunswick was September 11th, 2001. And so I had this passion for democracy and for community and for the incredible gift that this country was to my family. And then I, like, had my first adult moment and 9-11 happened. 
for the first time I was away from home. And, you know, growing up in New York and New Jersey, that's home to me, right? And so we were attacked at home. And and one of the incredible things that came out of 9-11, which is a weird thing to say, was this community of people who saw and connected out of desperation, out of need, out of so many emotions with each other. It was a heartbreaking but beautiful thing to see how the community came together. Like we went and we gave blood, right? So me and this whole floor of a dorm who had never really met each other, we were like, all right, like we're instant best friends and we're going to go give blood. And so those were like the two most formative moments to me where I was like, my life is going to be in service to a greater purpose. And so I've been fortunate enough to to get to do work that is part of that. I ran a nonprofit uh, called Mobilize.org and um, had the great fortune of meeting my husband there. And when we decided to start our family, we moved back to California. And I was nine months pregnant and I got a call from a friend of mine that works at Viacom. And she said, we have a partner who's interested in starting a foundation. Would you be interested in meeting with her? And I was like, sure, that sounds fun. I'm pretty sure that when you have kids, like your life is over. So I might as well take this last meeting (laughs) before I become a parent and like become really boring. And that was with Cynthia Germanata, Lady Gaga's mom, and Bobby Campbell, and the incredible team that we still work with today. And they laid out this vision for a kinder and braver world. And I said, sign me up. And so we've been together ever since, almost six years now. Wow. Yeah. So I'm the first executive director of Lady Gaga's Born This Way Foundation, and it's totally still pinch me. I think I just stuck around long enough. I started as a consultant, became director of impact and operations. um, And then as the team grew, it became time to professionalize the organization. So I was fortunate enough to be entrusted with this incredible opportunity. Tell us a little bit about that foundational moment that led to you meeting Cynthia and why she and Lady Gaga decided to create a foundation in the first place. Lady Gaga Stephanie Germanata, as she was known when she was being bullied as a young person in middle school in New York City, was always different and unique from a very early age. As I'm sure all of us know, that being different and unique, especially in early age, can be viewed as a liability. And so she experienced a lot of meanness and cruelty. She was shoved in garbage cans. They actually started a Facebook page. This is right at the beginning of Facebook, uh, entitled Stephanie Germanata Will Never Become Famous, which she's okay. She should, <laughs> It worked out for her. Um, spoiler alert. But when she started performing, she would share a lot of her experiences. And her mom would always be like, you can't like tell your business to these strangers. It's very uncomfortable, right? And what Cynthia slowly understood that not only was LG healing herself, other people were finding their stories in her and they were healing as well. And so the fans, of course, came to hear her sing because she's an incredibly talented singer and so many other things, but they also came to hear her speak. And if you've been to a show, you know that it's this beautiful mix of storytelling and like vulnerability that she puts herself in in service to helping other people find their voice. Um, And so this foundation is really rooted in her personal experience. So when she was 25, LG and her mom were on a flight and LG turns to Cynthia and says, it's time. And Cynthia was like, time for a nap? I'm tired. Like, time for what? She's like, it's time for us to start a foundation. And Cynthia said, like, what do you want us to do? And, And LG said, I want you to build a kinder and braver world. Cynthia was like, well, that is very, very daunting. Are you sure? Like, we can't make that a little more measurable. Um, Cynthia came from the business world, having had a really successful business career. And LG said and continues to say, 
if it was easy, someone would have done it already. And so we are doing what she feels like she would have needed as a young person and what she knows so many young people desperately need in today's world. Lady Gaga was interesting because she actually came into prominence during a time when artists were seen to be perfect. She brought imperfection into this. She brought the vulnerability. She brought the everything is not great. No, I don't always feel great. No, I didn't always have this amazing, beautiful, perfect MTV life. And she was very open about all the different issues that she cared about that affected her and affected the community. And so as a foundation, how do you choose which issues to really focus on and get behind? Yeah, that's a great question, especially there's just so much need. And we all care about so many different issues, and it feels overwhelming sometimes. I know the way that we choose the issues come from the young people. So when I first met with Lady Gaga and Cynthia and Bobby to talk about this foundation, it was to create a youth advisory board. And she said, I want young people to be at the center of the work of the foundation. I want young people to guide our strategy, our programs. I want them to keep us authentic. And I was like, well, what's the this? What's the foundation going to do? And she was like, I don't know. Bring me the young people and they'll tell us. And that continues to be the way that we operate. So we do a ton of research, both qualitative and quantitative, to find out what are the issues affecting young people, what do they care most about in their community, and under this banner of building a kinder and braver world, how can we help them not just survive their lives, but really thrive? And our work has, for the past six years, boiled down into three buckets. The first is kindness, and the transformative power of kindness. Lady Gaga talks often about kindness as an act in service to someone else without the expectation of anything in return and how healing that is both to be the recipient of kindness and to be the catalyst of kindness. Um, And we want to stop talking about it at this like mushy, nice to have feeling and talk about it as this necessity, this evidence-backed science that has individual and collective benefits. The second is mental wellness. So Today, and for a long time, uh, we've been in a mental health crisis in this country, and Lady Gaga wants to eliminate the stigma around mental health. She said that to us. She was like, the goal is to eliminate the stigma around mental health. And I was like, can we, like, reduce it? She's like, no, (laughs) we're going to eliminate it. And we're like, Roger. Um, Because young people need to know where they can go if they need support. Young people need to be at the forefront of destigmatizing conversations around mental health so that we can be just as proactive about our mental health as we are about our physical health. And then the last bucket is positive environments. As you gentlemen know, uh, the definition of community is changing, right? Online, offline, families, non-traditional families, all sorts of different things. And so we want to make sure that in the places where young people are, how can we create safe spaces for them to be their true selves, to be met with kindness, to be supported, to be comfortable? Um, So those are the three areas that the foundation works in. But obviously Lady Gaga cares about a whole host of issues expanding beyond this. And if she were here, um, she would tell you herself that this is really her legacy. She wants to be remembered for a lot of the things she's passionate about. But this quest to build a kinder and braver world is the thread, I think, that connects it all. And it's interesting, you know, today it's kind of weird if you're an artist and you don't have a social voice. Right. That's almost the exception, not the rule. And what's so fascinating is that at the point that Gaga started doing this, yes, you know, a lot of celebrities would have foundations and they would do charity work and PSAs and things like that. But nobody approached it with just the sheer 
determination and ferocity that she did, right? And I think in a way she may have already almost inspired this current generation of artists by showing how you can be a great artist and a great social activist at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a wonderful thing to see. And I think I have no musical ability whatsoever, but I would imagine that she is a better artist because of her commitment to the world. They don't just coexist. They actually like build on top of one another. But I think the world that we live in requires something more of us, right? You can't exist today and not see you know, systemic injustices and unmet needs. And to have the type of access to excess, to opportunity, to connections, to partnerships, and not use that to help address some of the challenges that you see in the world, I think would be irresponsible. Then that's just my opinion. And so I'm, I'm glad to see so many people taking that seriously. But, you know, this idea of good is a new cool, it's not like cool only for celebrities, right? We all have the responsibility to improve the world around us. Wherever you are, you have an opportunity and a responsibility to give back. Awesome. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about young people, which I know is a a passion of yours, mine, of all of us Mm -hmm. after all as well. We are experiencing incredible moment right now where young people are rising up into a role of leadership, using their voice, speaking into power. They're marching, they're petitioning, they're organizing and doing so in ways that most adults didn't even know young people were capable of. You know, we've had the opportunity to collaborate um, in some really interesting ways around the work that you're doing in Born This Way and the work that, that we do at Peace First. And I think the thing that we both share is this, this recognizing the power in young people, but the importance of changing the narrative of who young people are and what they're capable of. And you, your work, I think, touches in two really interesting creative spaces. One is in music and the other is in storytelling. And so what I want to talk about is how you're using the power of story, particularly through channel kindness, to change the narrative of who young people are, helping young people to change the narrative of who they are. I think storytelling is is incredibly important. I I just think young people have always had a commitment to giving back this like impatient idealism and hope uh, that they will and can make a difference. This generation in particular is the most diverse, most tech-savvy, most collaborative, most idealistic, most all of these things generation. So there's this incredible, like, moment, I think, where all of these factors are colliding to create this, like, seismic shift that hopefully we won't have to make the case for youth leadership anymore. And I think part of that is young people owning their stories. Like, my role in my position is to use everything that I have at my disposal to elevate youth voice, not to talk about young people. Like tonight, we have um, three Channel Kindness reporters in the audience. And I was like, I could write about my experience at the Soho House, or you could watch me, keep me honest, and you write about it, right? Because you're the young people who are like my BS meter and who keep us authentic. Because Lady Gaga is so young herself, we were sort of overwhelmed by how negatively young people were portrayed in the media, Mm -hmm. right? At first, they're not portrayed often, right? When they are, it's this apathetic, disengaged, violent generation that's killing each other, right? And from the work that we all do with young people, we know that's not the case. They're entrepreneurial, problem solvers, incredibly talented people. And so we thought, how can we leverage the platform and the megaphone of Lady Gaga to not tell stories of young people, but to just open it up and allow young people to talk about their own generation and tell a different story? And so Channel Kindness 
to date, we've trained 100 youth reporters. And so the leadership development piece is just as important as the output of what they're creating. We've invested in 100 young people who train their eyes and ears on everyday acts of kindness in their communities so that they can put out content that changes the like frenetic and negative news narrative that says, you know, we're screwed and young people are at the center of that and instead paints a different picture. And so it's been a really inspiring project to be a part of because we built it with young people and then we are just sitting back and watching what they build with it. And they're taking it beyond even our wildest dreams so far. That's dope. Yeah, it's amazing to see one of the things that Gaga does so well is is to kind of leverage celebrity, right? And leverage cultural capital to create social capital, right? And I think that's what's been really smart about the way that you guys approach those moments, you know? So talk a little bit about how you take the energy of a cultural moment, like performing at the Super Bowl, and link it into a desire to see change in the world. How often is that that conversation taking place behind the scenes between you and Bobby Campbell, her manager, and yeah. and trying to figure out how to like leverage this locomotive. Yeah, I mean, every time my husband was like, "Can I just go to the Super Bowl? Like, <laughs> why do you have to work? Like, why is everything about kindness? Can't we just go to the Super Bowl?" And you're not being kind no. to me. Yeah, right. Like, yes. <laughs> homeboy went to the Super Bowl. So he's okay. But but in everything that she does, and this is just so incredibly authentic to her leadership, Cynthia's leadership, and Bobby's leadership. They ask at like the highest tables that they sit in, how's the foundation involved? Where are the young people, right? So taking the Super Bowl, for example, she turned to us and said, like, what are we going to do in Houston? How are we going to bring kindness to Houston? We were like, uh, like literally just (laughs) trying to get tickets here. (laughs) And so what we did is we set up an activation in Houston, working with a bunch of local partners. We distributed 30,000 toys through a partnership with Mattel to youth shelters and various youth serving organizations. And then we actually set up alongside the big brands within the big Super Bowl sponsor camp. I don't remember mm-hmm. the like exact name for it. And we had, it was Super Bowl LI. So we call it Kindly. And we actually encouraged people to share acts of kindness. We had them sign these kindness benches that went to elementary schools in Houston. And it was this like jarring moment for people to walk by, just like grabbing free stuff from all the sponsors and then be like invited into kindness. It was this awesome opportunity to encourage them to do something thinking about someone else. And I'd be remiss to not talk about the tour. And so in partnership um, with Peace First and a number of other organizations, Born This Way went on tour, on the Joanne World Tour. So we were here in the United States and abroad with her, thinking about how do we create kind communities? How do we shine a light on the incredible work that's already happening? We partnered with more than 75 nonprofits. And one incredible opportunity, again, actually in Houston. So the show this year was um, a couple of weeks after Hurricane Harvey. We have had a long relationship with an organization called Team Rubicon. So Team Rubicon, uh, returning veterans mobilized for disaster relief. There are just a bunch of badasses. They're an incredible organization based here in Los Angeles, but around the country. And so Jake Wood is one of my good friends. And I said to him, listen, is there any work that your team's are doing in Houston that we might be able to tag along to. And he was like, yeah, totally. We're doing some mold remediation, water damage. Like there's just still such suffering from Hurricane Harvey. And he said to me, uh, if she just comes, we can make sure it's in and out quickly. Like we won't get her dirty. It'll be really comfortable for her. And I like kind of laughed at him. I was like, you've you've not met Lady Gaga. And so we roll up to this house and this house is in the most devastating condition that I've ever seen. The walls are peeling off. The 
roof is caving in, the furniture is still damp, and there's this incredible woman named Miss Pamela who actually, like, lives in this house, eating there, sleeping there, and it was just this unsafe place. To even go into this house, we needed to, like, have full hazmat suits. And we hadn't told the media anything. So Lady Gaga comes out. She asks for the goggles and the full hazmat suit. And she takes a sledgehammer. And she's like, okay, where where do I get to work, right? And there's these, like, 12 veterans <laughs> who were sort of expecting, like, a celebrity stop by. And that's, yeah. like, not what she's about, right? And so she spent two hours in this home tearing down the walls and the roof. Wow. And it was just this moment where you were like— there's no press release. There's no cameras. There's just the people who are fortunate enough to see this, like, act of humanity. You're just like, this is what it's about, and this is who Lady Gaga is. Just an example of how she thinks every day and every way about how to how to make this world a kinder and braver place. And there's a part of what's happening right now in which social consciousness is in vogue, right? And it's, it's the thing that celebrities and brands are trying to find their space in. Um, and a lot of them don't have that real deep, authentic connection to these issues and, and to these, these moments, like what you just shared. But yet in a lot of ways, they want to be in this space. How do you help brands and partners navigate that where everything is from the heart and everything is like, the most genuine and authentic place. Yeah, I mean, I think we say no to a lot of people who it's not from the heart, right? Like, sure, good can come from a episodic transactional campaign, but like where you see transformative change is when this is like a meaningful opportunity to both parties. And so that's, I think, where we've seen the most successful brands. I was lucky to be on the other side of a brand partnership when I was at Absolute Vodka and we did the amazing tour with Gaga and I don't know if you know this but we created a bar oh yeah the absolute art pop yeah. bar which was came from Gaga's team I was there and you were there <laughs> and like uh, you know the only way you could get into the bar which is right by her B stage I think just be- below her grand piano was you had to do acts of kindness you couldn't buy your way into it in every city, every every tour date, Absolute would partner with the tour and say, "Here are people who are doing acts of kindness," uh, and kind of that's that's the way you got into it. And I'll never forget the day that she posted the first piece of content about it, and I was sitting at my desk. It was like I don't know, ten o'clock on a Monday morning, and you see this post go live, and in the time that I hit refresh, there were a hundred thousand likes and, and comments. Yeah, and that blew my mind. Yeah. Because when you're at a brand, you're trying to get involved in the conversation and have an engaging kind of, you know, interaction with consumers. And most times that just doesn't happen. And then if you can be aligned with somebody who has the same values as you mm-hmm. and has, you know, the juggernaut of social media that she is. I don't know what it was, 70 million Facebook fans last count. Yeah. Uh, that is the value of creating those three-way partnerships between a brand, a nonprofit, an artist, you know, and finding common purpose is really the starting point, I think, to do it really well. So I can attest to it as being, you know, one of the most successful things that we ever did. That's awesome to hear. Um, and thank you, know. you for your support. And I, and I think, like, we have to say no to a lot of things. Like, you see some celebrities who, like, like ocean conservation and education and this and the next, and you're like, okay, like, what's the strategy mm-hmm. here, right? Are you just tweeting everything that you're being asked to tweet about all these different causes. And that's one approach to it, right? But we're really focused on the people that are going to help us have the most like catalytic and transformative change. That's how you're going to get her. There's been these amazing examples of 
impact and, you know, the stories that you tell, I think really kind of exemplify why you do this work, right? When is this work hard? It's it's heartwarming, it's fulfilling, but it's hard work. Yeah. Oh, this work um, has to break your heart every day. And you have to believe something about the world to go back and do it again. And for me, this is so intensely personal now that I'm a parent. And so I'll never forget one of the first stops of the tour. We were at a homeless LGBT uh, center in Seattle, and we were talking to a 15-year-old boy who was talking about his process of coming out. And so he was living on the East Coast, and when he was 14 years old, he came out to his parents, and they were like, nope. And so he left his home. He ran away and met a a gentleman online, uh, and that's how he ended up in Seattle. And so I can't imagine my 14-year-old son meeting someone online and moving leaving across the country, running away. Um, And so we asked him about that. And he goes, the unknown of this man was better than the known of my home. And you hear that as a mom and you're like, this this little boy, right? Because he was a little boy, gave up everything. He gave up safety. He gave up security because he wasn't able to be himself. And he gave it up in hopes that he would find a place and a person that would allow him to be himself. And it's heartbreaking when you see just like systemic and uh, unnecessary meanness and injustice. But on the other hand of it, it's just such an incredible privilege to get to do your little part every day to change that. And what would you say to all those people who right now feel inspired to act? We oftentimes, you've heard Eric Dawson from Peace First, he, he talks about this moment of obligation, yeah. right? That moment where doing something is no longer just the good thing to do or the kind thing to do. It's the thing that you have to do in order to feel just at, at peace with yourself. Um, and there's a lot of people who are feeling that in this moment and they don't know what to do. Yeah. Oh, call me. Email me. I will find things for you to do. It's my at Born This Way Down Foundation if you feel like you don't know how to do. But honestly, like, so when I'm having a rough day, I go to Uh donorschoose.org and then I click on the tab that says like closest to completion. Yeah. And I like give the last $13 for this class project, right? And they tell you you're like a teacher's hero and all of this stuff. There's so many small things. I feel like doing good sometimes is this overwhelming thing, right? If I'm not ready to like get rid of all of my excess and not go shopping and use reusable bags. If I'm not ready to change my whole life, then I might not even as well, right? Like I am no means the like poster child for like living a good life. But the point is in little and big ways, you can make a difference right now. You can go on volunteermatch.org. You can go to Donors Choose. You can find a local nonprofit. I actually, after September 11th, I Googled youth activism on September 11th, 2001, because I was like, I got do something and rock the vote came up and that's how I got in this work right I googled youth activism because I felt like I had to do something I had that moment of obligation and now I have a career so like the most important thing I can tell you to do is act on it in some way just say it to someone say to your roommate and just be like hey we should like do something we should pick up trash we should whatever act on it and then keep acting on it like today I was in Starbucks And I saw these two gentlemen, they were drinking their coffees, and then they got up. And they just, like, left their coffees and all of their stuff on their table. And I was just like, who's going to pick that up, right? But I just, like, went and I picked it up. Not because I'm better than anyone else, but I was thinking, like, 
maybe somebody saw me do that, right? Maybe yeah. somebody saw me instead of being like, hey guys, like what's going on? Like, why don't you do that? I just, I'm going to handle this for you, right? Because when you see an unmet need in your world, like you, you meet it, yeah. right? And so we need to think to ourselves, like what's the unmet need that I'm uniquely positioned to meet? And how can I start acting towards that? And that could be at the smallest level yeah. on the world changing. Yeah. So Mike, you've been on this amazing journey. What would you say is the biggest thing you've learned that you would want to share with those who are on this journey with you and those that are trying to figure out their own path uh, to, to creating a kind of braver world in their own way? Yeah, I think there's a couple things, and I'll tell a quick story to sum it up about what I think I've learned um, most clearly. I think first, when I first became an organizer, I thought I was part of this like chosen elite few, right? This had like profession of organizing. And what I've realized through understanding the transformative power of kindness and of building community and of like gratitude lies the incredible power that each one of us have to be organizers, to be community builders, right? It's the power of the individual to make a difference in someone's life is like the biggest thing. And this this story I tell every time I talk, um, so I live in, in the Bay Area of San Francisco. And if you want to commit suicide in the Bay Area, you go to the Golden Gate Bridge. And it happens often, and they're trying to figure out ways to, to curb the jumpers. And I had the pleasure of hearing one of the men who survived a jump off the Golden Gate Bridge speak. And he talks about what he was thinking the day that he decided to jump off the bridge. He woke up in San Francisco. He had made plans to commit suicide. And so he decides he's going to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge that day. In order to get to the Golden Gate Bridge, he has to take three different buses. And so he gets on the first bus, and it's like a rare, beautiful day in San Francisco. And he is on this first bus, and he has this, like, nagging feeling that, like, I don't want to live anymore, but I'm not sure that I want to die. And so he looks at this, like, packed commuter bus, and he says, if any of these people ask me how I am, I won't do it. So he's just like low key, like looking around, not really making eye contact, but just like opening him up to the possibility of someone asking him how he is. Everybody's looking on their phones and their earbuds, gazing out the window. Nobody asks him how he is. Fine. Okay. He gets on the second bus, again, a packed commuter bus going to the other side of San Francisco. And he still has this nagging feeling of like, I don't, like, do I really want to do this? Like, I'm going to do it, but do I really want to do it? And he's not able to stop himself, but he's opening up the possibility for someone to stop him. He says, if anyone on this bus smiles at me, like really smiles at me, looks at me and smiles at me, then I won't do it. And this time he's like trying to look at people. He's trying to connect with people a little more closely. Everyone's busy for their whole host of legitimate reasons. Nobody on this bus smiles at him. He gets to the marina for the last bus, taking him to the Golden Gate Bridge. And he says, if anyone on this bus even looks at me, like really truly looks at me and recognizes my humanity, then I won't do it. And at this point, he's sobbing. He's like desperately looking at people, trying to connect. And everyone's like moving away or trying to pretend they don't see him. And nobody, nobody connects with him in a way where he feels like he's really been seen. So he gets to the bridge, walks halfway through the span and feels a tap on his shoulder. And he's like, this is my guardian angel. She's come to save my life. And a woman in these big sunglasses turns to this man who is sobbing on the side of the Golden Gate Bridge and asks him to take a picture of her. And so she hands him wow. her phone, gets up against the side, poses. He takes a picture of her, hands her back her phone, and in front of her, jumps off the bridge. Whoa. What? 
right? Whoa. And so he survived, obviously, because he's telling us the story. But the thing that I always keep with me in this occasionally overwhelming world of work and of need and of, like, urgency is that we've all been that person who, for, like, really legitimate reasons, is too busy, right? I'm writing that memo. I have this meeting. I'm traveling. I, like, don't have time to focus on anything else but me. But we've also all, in in one way or another, been that person who so desperately needed someone else to, like, see us and touch us and feel us, right, and, like, recognize our humanity. So, I like, I'm the one who, on the BART train, is like, hello, hello, hello. Yeah. And each of us, regardless of what you do for a living, how much money you have, we can be those people who help see humanity in each other. And not only will you make your BART ride a little more comfortable for everyone else, you'll like maybe save someone's life. And so doing good is just that simple. So that was an amazing conversation with Maya. Such energy and such passion, such drive for what she does. One of the things that really resonated with me was... uh, be prepared for the heartbreak. If you're going to go do some work that is socially impactful, be prepared for the heartbreak. I, you know, it's funny, last Saturday was the March for Our Lives, the uh, pro-gun safety march. I took my son, who is four years old, Nuri, on that march, and it was his first march. And, uh, you know, we got back and we were watching some of the speeches that were happening, and I was crying. I was sitting there watching these amazing teenagers I was crying because I was inspired by what they were going through. And I, and I realized I've been crying a lot lately because I get to be in the space. I get to be in the space and see things that are so inspiring and so moving, also so heartbreaking as well. And I think that's wise advice for anybody wanting to get into this. Yes, you will find meaning and you'll find a greater level of substantiveness. But uh, understand that it's heart-centered work. So when you get into it, you have to be prepared to be vulnerable and open to it. Absolutely, I agree. Another thing that Maya said that that really resonated was the story about uh, being in Starbucks and seeing someone just leave trash on the table and and her looking around and saying, who's going to pick that up? Like, who's going to clean that up? And just doing it. And what I took away from that is how important it is to just do the thing in front of you. You know, so often we, we talk about how to solve problems through the lens of like legislation and through, you know, these big impactful campaigns and all these other things. And, you know, I think so often, you know, we get paralyzed by trying to figure out what are the actions or things that we can create that's going to create this impactful change. And, you know, that story really reminded me that it's, it's about the simple things that are right in front of you that if you just do on a daily basis that contribute to the change that we want to see, often in ways that are just as, as important as some of the most grandiose things that you, we see on a, on a broader political and cultural level. You know, sometimes as creators, we just got to do and create the thing in front of us that's going to contribute to the world we want to see. This program was brought to you by Good Is A New Cool and Soho House in association with Radio Wolfgang. Hosted by me, After Laziz, and Bobby Jones, and featuring Maya Smith, Executive Director of the Born This Way Foundation. Mm-hmm.